Praise God. I feel like I've been to church. Amen. What an amazing job these psalmists are doing here. Oh, you know, it's a blessing to have leaders like that who can help you to cultivate practicing the presence of God. Amen. It's a blessing. I, you know, if Tavon would have nudged me and said, okay, let's go, I would have just grabbed my stuff and headed for the door. I, I was caught up. Amen. <laughs> but I'm glad to be here with you this morning. My name is Will Brocker. If you call me William, that's okay too. My wife does. Just don't call me William Frank because I'll think I'm in trouble like I do with her if I hear that. But my wife, Tavana, is here with me. You just saw her. and Thank God for her. I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here today without her. I can guarantee you that. I want to thank pastors Rich and Dorothy Van Winkle. You have amazing, amazing pastors. The Bible says give honor where honor is due. Let's, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for the leadership he has placed in your life. Amen. Amen. I know I thank God for them. They are amazing servants of God. But anyway, thank all of you for being here today. Last time we were here, it was pouring down rain, and we had a little dog with us. <laughs> and we got, it was a mess, but, uh, you know, it turned into a wonderful day. And, and with uh, the love that was poured out here, our dog got to even go to church that day. And, and uh, attended class over in the children's ministry. <laughs> the little Zoe was the star of the show over there, I think. <laughs> Y'all pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for this time together, your children, this little part of your body, here together to serve you and to worship you and to come to know you better. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us not to leave here the same. Remember this day as a day we grew a little closer to you, Father. With your help, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's almost Christmas, isn't it? Right around the corner. You know, I've heard people say, well, he wasn't really born on December 25th. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I love Christmas. I think personally that he was probably conceived around this time, around in Hanukkah. And then he was probably came into the world around the Feast of Tabernacles nine months away. But that's just me. We'll find out one day when we all tabernacle with him together again. Amen. It's going to be a wonderful thing. It's going to be a wonderful thing. I can only imagine the preparations that were being made in heaven some 2,000 years ago for that first Christmas to take place. Probably not a real happy occasion, to be honest. Bittersweet, maybe. Knowing all the wonderful things that it was going to accomplish, but... 
for the king of kings to be stepping down from his throne to come and be like this and be treated so horribly and die the way he did. My goodness, that must have been a time. But we are mindful that he did it for us. What resolve he had. Knowing, I mean, he wrote the book. He knew what he was going to go through, what he was going to do, and how he was going to live and die, and he did it anyway. Our Father temporarily bankrupted heaven to send him here for a while. Sowed that seed, didn't he, Pastor? But he saw what was in that seed. All of you. And more. But it's always been all about Jesus. When you get to heaven and you go into the archives to read through some of the history of the world, it'll start and end with Jesus. It was always about Jesus. You know, I remember a time in my life when it wasn't all about Jesus. It wasn't about Jesus at all. It was all about me. And I had ups and downs and (laughs) merry-go-rounds. I had good times and bad times and prosperity and poverty over and again and back and forth and trying to figure it out and make some sense of it all and whether I was sitting at a blackjack table in Vegas with $100,000 in front of me or walking the streets of Lincoln, Nebraska on some job, drunk, standing in front of a church door saying, where are you, God, at 30? (laughs) It was still all about me, self-pity, denial, but... God came and and got a hold of me one day. I fell to my knees and I said, Lord, if you'll come into my house and, and to my heart today, I'll never ask you to leave again. And I, I don't have to tell you, he was faithful to come. And I like to think that I'm still doing well on my end. But... I want to talk today about our effectiveness as Christians. Just scratch the surface a little bit because it's something I'm always thinking about. Lord, are are my hands pure before you? Make me usable. Forgive me. I dropped the ball over here. Let's go again. (laughs) And... He's faithful to forgive and to move on. He really doesn't want to hear about that old stuff anymore. But he does like to know that we're excited about being better, doing better, living more for him. And so I want to touch on that today. Because he has he has told me that we are... 
this Christmas season, as it were, moving into a very exciting season of resolve. This is just the word he gave me, resolve. I told my wife and she reminded me there's more than one definition. So I looked it up and I, I realized the definition that he's talking about is the one that says to decide firmly on a course of action. To make up our minds, to determine or to decide. This is a verb, so it's an action word that we need to apply. The noun of it says firm determination to do something. The Christian life as God intended to fulfill the purpose that God created you for, to live out the days that he's written down in his book of life, requires a choice. It requires resolve. You've got some deciding to do. There's a part for you to play. Faith without works is dead. Isn't that what the word tells us in James? And they, the world, are going to know you by your fruits. And don't you know there's a lot of fruit inspectors out there just waiting for you to stumble and fall. (laughs) So it takes firm determination to live this Christian life. As a matter of fact, we know from our teachings that it's quite impossible to live the Christian life in your own power. You can't do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. There are dead churches all around this country this morning just going through the motions. And I don't say that with joy or in any kind of an ugly way. I'm praying that revival will come and all these denominational walls and barriers and divisions of men will begin to fall away. And when the Lord comes back for his bride, not his harem, we'll be ready. Amen. (laughs) Well... Of course, Jesus is our greatest example for all things, all things that are good, all things that we could ever want to be or achieve. We should look to the Lord. So I want to look in on the Lord Jesus today as he sets the perfect example for us. Let's glean a little bit from scriptures. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter nine, verse 51. We're going to look at these few scriptures, verse 51 through 56 today, in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I'm just going to read through it quickly. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. 
And we'll stop right there for now. Jesus, I said what determination he had as he planned to come to earth for that first Christmas. We don't really see anything about that in the word. So I wanted to point you to a place where we can see his perfect example of resolve. And here it is. When the time came, Jesus set his face. He made up his mind. He resolved. He determined. He decided that he would not waver from his course of action, his purpose, his destiny. Why? He knew the struggles he would encounter, didn't he? How many of you know sometimes when you're going to have to go through some hard times, you really need to just make up your mind that nothing's going to change your mind? And that's what Jesus did. And I'm still asking you why, though. Something God showed me in this scripture, I want you to look closely at it again. Notice in verse 51, it doesn't say that when it the time was come for Jesus to die on the cross, to be crucified, to be treated and horribly and mocked and killed. He made up his mind. It doesn't say that, does it? It's the first time I'd really noticed this this week when the Lord told me what to share with you. No, it says when it was time for him to be taken up to heaven, when it was time for him to to go home, to be reunited with his father and the angels in heaven. You see, Jesus wasn't focused on death. He wasn't focused on the things of this world or the pain of this world or the rejection of this world. He was kingdom minded. And that helped him. It strengthened him. Just as it will you. If you resolve to think that way, it's helped me. Amen. My home is in heaven. I am a child of God. I am free of me. And so I'm free of you. I don't mean that in a way that says I don't love you because I love you very much. It just means that no matter what happens here, we're only here for a flicker. And then, oh, the joy that is set before us. That's what he saw when he, he saw his destiny. He knew he was passing through Jerusalem and he would be lifted up and not in a good way. He saw you. He saw his father. He saw the joy. He saw that he was the door to the kingdom for all those who had been shut out by the sinfulness of man. And he made up his mind. We need to make sure that our treasures are in heaven just like he did. And that what he teaches us, we're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, he... Tells us not to 
Not to be so concerned with the things of this world. Don't be so attached to things. It's a good message at Christmas time. <laughs> Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and a thief can't break in and steal it from you. And that's what Jesus did. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. And we need to be kingdom minded. Look at the next verse there. Jesus sent messengers before his face and, and they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Verse 53. And they did not receive him because his face was though he would go to Jerusalem. They hated the Jews. The Samaritans did. That's a whole other message. A lot of the Jews at this time were going the other side of the river to head to Jerusalem because they didn't want to have to deal with the Samaritans. But when they saw that he was going there, they didn't want anything to do with him, and they rejected the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <clears throat> Jesus dealt with a lot of rejection in his life, and so will you as Christians if you ever truly are living the Christian life. There's so many of us that just kind of dipping our toe in the water and looking through the window, but we never have really resolved to commit everything to God. And that's a dangerous place to live. We don't want to be a mealy-mouthed fence-sitter. There's no room for it in this day and age. And if you are found really in that place, not having chosen completely, you will have chosen by proxy. Not choosing Jesus is in effect choosing the enemy. But it's important to know, just as in the life of Jesus, rejection will come. But how do we keep our resolve in the midst of rejection is something that we should look at, think about. It's just like with a, a young teenager growing up. If you talk to them about drinking, you talk to them about the opportunities that are going to come up and the, the really the pitfalls of life and the reasons why it's not a good idea, even though it seems like it at the time. Then when they're confronted with this challenge, it's easier for them, having already resolved in their hearts, that's not for me. You see? So it's the same with us grown-ups. If we think about things and resolve to stay focused, to stay resolved, to stay committed to Christ, it's easier when the temptations come. I would say the number one thing that has helped me to keep my resolve when trials and rejection come is, is simply staying close to Jesus. Just keeping close to Jesus. And I know some of you are saying, man, that's your big, that's your big solution. <laughs> wow. Really anointed. <laughs> Listen, there's nothing hard about the gospel. God is not, uh, this big mystery that people say he is. He, his mystery, his secret was Jesus. 
And he's been revealed to his children now. All the secrets in this book are hidden in here for you, not from you. And I'm going to tell you, learning to stay close to Jesus is the best thing you're ever going to do. Do you remember a man named Peter? He he reminds me of the old me. I was a real bad boy. It took God to make me the man he created me to be. But Peter was ready to fight for Jesus. Remember in the garden that night? Peter jumped up and proved it. He cut that man's ear off. And when Jesus put it back, it confused Peter a little bit. He was ready to throw down. To die. And in fact, he would have died in that fight. He had made up his mind in the flesh. To live, to fight, to die in the flesh. But when it became apparent that it was a spiritual battle, it threw him off a little bit. And it can do the same to us if we're not careful. You remember as they arrested Jesus and took him back to be tried in this mock trial and treated so poorly. Peter followed, didn't he? But it was at a distance. You remember that? He followed at a distance. And I would just say to you today that allowing space between you and the Lord Jesus Christ also allows room for temptation. Confusion. The enemy is looking for a space between you and your king because he wants to come in and undermine the things you thought you knew and the things you thought you had determined to do and all the good things that the Lord has shared with you. He wants to give you a cheap counterfeit, a solution that will not add up with the word of God, but it'll sound good and it'll fit your situation, circumstances. So you might be encouraged to take that option. But don't. Keep close to Jesus. Talk with him. Meditate on his word, his promises, his love for you. Pray in the spirit. Pray in your known language. Sing to him. Don't ever let him get too far ahead of you. And don't you get ahead of him. Stay close to Jesus. It's going to help you more than anything else you can do. And I would say, as you are cultivating his presence and this this closeness, this relationship, which is what you were saved for, according to John 17, 3, learn to trust him with all your heart. Trust him with all your heart. Proverbs 29, 25, Proverbs 29, 25, and circle this one in your Bible. (laughs) Says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. But, and here's a promise. I love that. It's one of the first things God told me. He said, you can go and tell, tell my people all the problems they have. And all the error of their ways. But don't you ever leave them in that condition. 
because I won't. And so he's he's telling us something that will cause us some problems here. And if we read that and it reminds us of us, it, we know it's a problem. But if ifs and buts were fruits and nuts, it would be Christmas every day. <laughs> but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Oh, my goodness. Isn't it good just to be safe? To feel safe, free from the fears that this life will try to put upon you. And there's a promise right there. You can hold this word up to God and say, you said. And he'll say, what did I say, baby? And he'll stand good on it. Your part is to keep your hearts free from fear and worry. There's always a part for us to play. Don't entertain the devil's lies and he'll exalt his truth. Jesus will. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Look at the next verse, I think, actually. Perfect example. It says, many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. People are looking for safety in all the wrong places. You know what I'm talking about? There's either fear or faith. In this day and age we live in, we have too many people that are more apt to run to Google than to God. More apt to run to the government for their help than to the God who created them. And this excludes faith. And it creates a snare. And this is a problem. God never intended for things to be that way. Millions and millions of people are misled in our culture and in this world today. They are deceived. And prolonged deception will cause them to deceive others. It perpetuates like that. They need the church. They need our Lord Jesus Christ. And for a time, we are the only light in this world. I believe we've been granted a brief reprieve so that the church can still proclaim the truth of God's word without fear of being shackled ourselves. But even still, there are too many. I think I heard a, a number recently out of 200,000 church pastors and leaders, only maybe 15,000 in a recent trials were brave enough to stand up and proclaim the truth of God's word. If I have to minimize the truth of God's word, if I have to water it down in order to be safe, that means I'm not trusting God to keep me safe. It means I have a fear of a government or a culture that's going to shut me down or harm me, and it's going to cause me to be ensnared. No, I'm going to trust in God, and I'm going to proclaim His word boldly, and I'm going to love everybody 
so much that I may be the only one they ever meet to tell them the truth about what God's best really is for their life and who he created them to be. And I'm going to love them anyway. Man, preaching pretty good in here. I have a friend in Houston, a retired, um, a retired Marine colonel. Been retired for a while from the Vietnam age. An awesome man. Still could kick my butt. He's old. <laughs> but he, <clears throat> he, uh, he serves still. He does the, the, the flag ceremonies at the funerals and he serves at the VA and, and I was with him recently and he, he, he said, Pastor, you have to pray for me. He said, I have a hatred for a certain religious group, you might imagine. <clears throat> and I just heard him out. He said, you know, I'm down there serving with these boys day in and day out at the VA. Legs blown off, all this from cowards who blow them up from three blocks away and and now, he says, the, the government has mandated that the VA hire certain peoples from that nationality or ethnic group to, to work there. And they come dressed so that it's obvious. And, and he says, it's, 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 it's hard for these boys because they don't understand. And I just need some clarity on these things. So we talked and. And I explained to him that we love everyone and, and, and Jesus died for everyone. But he, he doesn't have to ever embrace any ideology or theology created by Satan. And that's exactly what he was talking about. But he needs to be able to separate the two. Just like any soldier, he can go to war and do his job. Or a policeman on duty, the same thing. But they can never entertain a spirit of murder. And there's a huge difference. He understood that, but he said, but tell me this, Pastor. He said, we have a chapel there. You've seen these little chapels in places like hospitals and VAs and things like that. And you can go in and pray. And he says, we always take full advantage, or we did until recently. He says, but now, because of this, they... Christians have to go in certain times of the day and remove everything from the chapel that could say anything about Jesus and allow these others to come in and do their thing. And he said, that's been really hard. And he said, now, and he showed me a picture on his phone. He said, this was the chapel. And I said, yeah, it's very familiar. I've seen many of those. I may have even have been in that one. And it had a, a large crucifix on the wall. And he scrolled forward and he showed me another picture. He says, look now. And it was gone. And he said, it's been permanently removed. And so there is a fight to be fought. And the time is now. The Christian community has to stand up. And proclaim the truth of God's word. 
knowing that our Lord and Savior did not come to this world to be treated so horribly and die such a bitter death on a cross just to be one of the ways, one of the ways back to God. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one shall come to the Father but by Him. I want to encourage you today that you are living in the greatest time in world history. I'm not a naysayer. Hey, if I'm in the group with the 12, just call me Joshua. Just call me Caleb. I'm not going to be grouped up with the other 10 naysayers. I have a good report. Because as long as we are here, we are the light of the world and there's hope and there's promise and there's opportunity for everyone who will. I reached out to my friend Russell Lorfing who, who, who has a great evangelical ministry and he's, he's telling me stories about Muslims who are coming to the Lord every day. I got another report from a minister. I saw something. I might have just seen this one, but it was a, 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 a Buddhist monk who died and went to hell for 10 days. <clears throat> Jesus showed up. He showed him Buddha in hell. He, he gave him the message of love and truth and liberty and salvation, and he sent him back to tell the world. Good things are happening, and the Lord is fighting for everyone. It's, it's not his will that any should perish. Not his will that any should perish. The Christian community, though, even though we are living in this uh, amazing time, you're living in the greatest nation in the world, in world history. And really, in about the greatest place in that great nation at the greatest time in history. We are not like the old covenant uh, Jews who left Egypt and were looking for the promised land, we now are living in a land of promises that God has provided. Everything that God has belongs to you and is at your disposal. Now, we have to grow in this grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God said, my people are perishing for lack of knowledge. Really a lack of knowing me. Not only are you living in a great place and a great time, but you have a great church. I told you before, and I was not happy to say that there are dead churches all over this country. <clears throat> That's a sad thing. And I have hope for all of them. But to be in an apostolic setting like this, with a man and woman of God like this, who not only walk in all the gifts of the Spirit and embrace everything that God has for us, and you're going to need it all in these last days, but they're, they're pulling the giftings out of you all, all who will, all who have resolved to live and serve God. If you want to live and serve God, this is a good place to do it. I guarantee you this pastor will set you on your course. He'll help you. He'll confirm to you some things that God should already be telling you. We have to shine brighter than ever. There was a time in Ezekiel 34 when God rebuked the shepherds of the time. Are you familiar with that passage of Scripture? He told them, he says, uh, 
he says, he rebuked them for not feeding the flocks, number one. Our food, it was, it's kind of concealed in type and shadow there. But he said, you feed yourselves instead of feeding the flocks. Well, our food is the rich word of God, the manna. I know you're getting that here. He rebuked them by saying, the disease you have not strengthened. Well, where is the strength and the power of the Christian? Where does it come from? The Holy Spirit? So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what he's talking about there, if it's revealed in the new covenant. And I know that that's available to you here. Amen? What else did he say? He said, neither have you healed that which was sick. Well, that's physical healing. How many of you? Well, I think I saw some people healed here this morning, so I know that's available to you. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. This would refer to kairos or inner healing. And we know that God has provided for our physical, emotional uh, well-being. All, all, everything to do with us has been provided for and it's readily attainable here through this ministry. I'm just pointing these things out because do you know how many people in this country who really want God are starving for these things that are readily available to you here in this environment? What a great church home you have here. You know, when my wife, let me finish that thought, nor have you brought again that which was driven away, deliverance. There is demonic oppression, and it's good that you have... A pastor, I'll tell you, you can't disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. And you have to know what's what. And you have a man of God here who knows. Trust me. These things are all necessary. And you have not sought that which was lost. That's evangelism. So those are the things that God will get angry about with the shepherds even today. He has not changed his opinion about those things. And I'm glad to know that you're in a place here where you have all these things in your arsenal, so to speak, because you're going to need them. You're blessed. Tavana and I grew up. The sad thing about a lot of our fellow citizens is that they are like Tavana and I were. We thought we were Christians and we weren't. He was a little Pentecostal girl. Back home and, uh, and sometimes she just rode whatever church bus she and her friends could catch that came by the neighborhood and go to all. She got baptized in every church in town, I think. <laughs> and her testimony after we got a little older was well, we were all going to hell anyway. We might as well enjoy ourselves while we're here. <laughs> and I just didn't know, you know, I, I don't know. I was a hard head. I got baptized drunk one time. <laughs> and I want to tell you, all I got was wet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let me finish my scriptures here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm telling everything. <laughs> Let's look back in Luke and finish this up real quick. Luke 9, verse 54. Remember, they didn't receive them. They, they, they suffered some rejection here after Jesus had already made up his mind. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, that they were rejected or Jesus was rejected, they said, Lord, wilt thou not that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? <laughs> 
And Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. Thank God. Things had changed. I tell you, these boys really weren't doing anything wrong according to what they had been taught and read in scriptures. Elisha did that very thing, and he had a great day, a lot of fun. But when these guys wanted to do it, I mean, he had already given them the power, or was that fixing to come anyway, to, to heal the sick and, and all these things. So they just thought this was a, a, a normal thing, and they were going to get to blow up this town, but they didn't. <laughs> And he said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. And I want to tell you that neither do many of the, the Christians or church leaders today know what manner of spirit they are. And this is a very serious matter. I'm not taking it lightly, although this is a funny story, because Jesus had a great sense of humor. After that day, he affectionately called these brothers the sons of thunder. You know, can you imagine going to blow up the town, sons of thunder over here? You know, that had to be a joke. He had to be laughing when he gave him that nickname. So he was, he, Jesus is cool, I'm telling you. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, didn't it? Everyone loves the grace of God. Everybody, especially me, because I... I needed it so much, and God had to beat me over the head with it. I was born five, five, sixty-five, the youngest of five. You know, the number five is is for grace. And I really needed the, the grace of God to come out of all the condemnation and rejection I felt. But it's important that as mature Christians, we embrace not only the grace of God, but the truth of God. It is what it is, and it's not going to change. The truth of God without the grace of God will destroy you. It'll crush you. But without the truth of God, you can be deceived about the grace of God and begin calling those things which are evil good. And so it's important that you embrace the grace and the truth of God. Because when when your entire life or your career or a relationship is founded and established on a lie, it will cause you to reject God's truth sometimes. There's definitely an opportunity there, and a lot of people have done this. And what the enemy will do is he'll provide you with a nice alternative to God's truth, a lie, a counterfeit, that's going to take you out on the end of the limb and leave you hanging. And then he'll send you others, like-minded, to help to reinforce that lie and that stronghold in your life. And that's what's happened all around our nation in many situations today. It's a very, very sad thing. It comes behind ungodly motives, agendas, and the fear of man. When you have those things operating in your life, bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, ambition, agendas, it'll cause you to embrace a lie many times. And then if you're not careful, over time... If you don't repent of that thing, the enemy will just reinforce it. 
he'll take a whole church, a whole denomination. My grandfather was a Methodist pastor, my great-grandfather in Brownwood, Texas. He would be rolling over in his grave right now. They have effectively split that entire denomination based on a lie, acceptance, calling it love and acceptance and tolerance, you see. This is my final point. What works in being an effective Christian regarding some of these things? Because it gets very touchy, doesn't it? Delicate situations. So what do we do? It's not good to argue with someone like this, is it? I'm talking about just someone who's got a stronghold of in their life built on a lie. And has embraced it. It's not good to argue doctrine with them. To criticize them can be very counterproductive. What's the only thing that works? Love. Love. Love never fails. It's the only thing that's going to help us through these times. The grace and the truth of God. We can't waver from our convictions or what this word says. You have to settle on 2 Timothy 3.16 that says all scripture is God-breathed. If it's not, then you can make this thing say anything you want. And you can exclude large portions of it. You can say, well, it's just an old book written by men about God. That Theology will take you to hell and it'll help you to send others there too. You have to make up your mind that this is the book written by God about himself to you. And don't waver from its truth, no matter what seems right. If it doesn't line up with this, it's not right. And we just have to... Trust God with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. I remember over these past few years in challenging situations and circumstances that I've had in my own ministry. Your pastor pastoring this pastor and it was always the same. Will stay in love. If you'll just stay in love. The Holy Spirit will work things out. If you just love them, it's all going to work out for the good. Stay in love, Will. Just stay in love. Love your wife. He wasn't the problem. (laughs) Just stay in love, though. And he was right. Because if you love completely, even if they don't change, you've... You've sown a lot of good seed. You've laid up treasures in heaven. And at some point, God might say, well, just go on. But just do whatever he tells you and you're going to be fine. By this shall all men know that you are the sons and daughters of God. Your love one for another. You are loved by God. You are children of God predestined, anointed. You have the very mind of Christ, the faith of God in your spirit. Work it out. 
Learn to cultivate the presence and the power of God which is in you. You don't need God to give you anything. It's already in you. Learn to walk in and after the Spirit, which just means walking in agreement with this Word. Cultivate His presence, and you're going to be a water walker. You're kings and priests, children of God. Your home is in heaven with Him for all eternity. This life is just a flicker. And this life will soon be done, but only what's done for Christ is going to last, you see. Embrace your true identity in Christ alone. Get to a place where the world cannot influence or affect you or cause you to waver from your course. Because your ultimate destiny or destination is not your death of this physical body one day, but it's your being reunited with your family in heaven, all those who've gone before believing, and your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said you can't even imagine the things, the good and wonderful things He has in store for you, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You are the chosen ones. And I'm telling you that this world who hates you because it hated Jesus first, he loves them and you are to love them. And the only reason they act the way they do is because they do not have the relationship with the true and living God that you do. And they need him desperately. And you don't know when he is going to return. His return is imminent. I can assure you, if it was the day was near 2,000 years ago, it's much nearer now. And I think I could prove it to you in Scripture, but not today. <clears throat> but I'm just going to tell you that we're only here for a little while. And the only thing that's keeping the enemy from consuming everyone in this world is the light that the church of the living God provides. That as long as the Holy Spirit is here, they have a chance. When we're gone, it's all over. Give them the chance that you got one day. Pray continually for open doors of opportunity to reach somebody. If you're not the one to reach this person, and man, I knew you when. <laughs> you're not going to tell me about Jesus. Pray that God will send someone else. Amen. I almost got halfway through today. I think this is a good stopping place, though. You know, I'm just an old country boy, and I want to. I don't want to make a big production out of this, but I would like for you, who would, just by a show of hands, to agree with me today and say, I think it's time. For me to renew my resolve, to determine to serve God, to live for the Lord that saved me and who made me, and to renew my commitment to Him this Christmas season, that I'm going to be the one that shares 
with a sick and dying world, the only true Christmas gift, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords with someone in need. Every chance God gives me. I'm just going to resolve with you, Pastor, today to allow the Lord to make me better. To allow the Lord to make me a little stronger. To allow the Lord to reveal himself and, and to get closer with him today. To be focused on my purpose and fulfilling my destiny, not moved by any of the rejection or criticism of the world or my family or my job or co-workers. I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. I don't care what anybody says or does. Oh, man. Awesome. I feel like I'm a part of a movement. Praise God. You guys are going to be stronger than horseradish. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for committing. I'm going to call on some of you. I'm going to call pastor and say, give me some of those phone numbers. I want to hear some reports. See how things are going for the the Lord's army. I want to thank you for allowing me to be here with you today. I want to tell you for about seven or eight years now, twice a day, Five times a day, I've been getting 911. 9-11 in the morning, 9-11 at night, I look at the clock. I'll see an address and 911 will be right there. I'll, anything to do with numbers, 911. And it's God. <laughs> it caused me to learn all the 9-11 scriptures for starters that I didn't know what it was. He was driving me nuts. But don't you know, God doesn't do anything to scare us, but just to prepare us. And it's just his sense of urgency for us to do the things that he's called us to do. You know, we're his hands and feet and mouthpiece here in this earth. He's He went and sat down when he was done and he gave authority to you. And he's trusting you to fulfill your purpose. The graveyards are filled with people who never, ever fulfilled one day that God had written for them in this life. It's a choice. That's something else that you're privy to here that you don't get some places. They say, well, if God intends it to be, whatever will be, will be. That's a lie of the devil. God's will is good. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Praise God. Well, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what he's doing in all of our lives.